Good morning, Rogers. We'd like to draw your attention to James chapter 4 as we continue in our series uh, in the book of James this fall here at Fellowship. Character is one of those things that we all want to embrace, we all want to have, we all want to exemplify and have to some degree in life, but it's one of those things that seems so missing today. When you read the headlines, you go home and watch the cable news, it seems to be a wash. And so this morning, we want to look at this passage of James through the lens of character, and that within each of us are character champions, and then they're character assassins. And as we look into this book it, it, this morning, and particularly chapter 4, it almost has a blowtorch effect. I mean, James just brings the heat. But you have to realize behind this blowtorch effect and the heat that James brings is really the heart of a loving God and a jealous God. And as we read it, you, you'll think, wow, James has taken on a prophetic edge here. And he is. It, it, it has the flavor of an Old Testament prophet calling forth the people of Israel who would just go through cycles of sin and uh, repentance and recovery and restoration and redemption only to repeat the cycle. And so it has that effect. But there's also one more idea behind these words as we read them this morning. It, it, it comes across as a lover who's been jilted. As a spouse uh, who has found their spouse unfaithful and in, in infidelity is at play. And so there's a passion to this prophetic edge. It makes sense as we read it together. So let's just jump in. James chapter 4, verse 1. And James addresses some of the dysfunction that's going on in the early church. And as we read this, I'm somewhat, I don't know, comforted or assured that the first church had its problems as well. They, they were about as jacked up as you and I are in a lot of areas of life. And so James, here we go, just picks it right up. And he says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. That word spend is also used when Jesus over in Luke chapter 15 tells the parable uh, the father had two sons, or we may know it better as the parable of the prodigal. Remember what the prodigal did? He demanded his, father, his father's wealth and inheritance and went out and spent it on wild living. That's the same term here, that you may spend what you get on your pleasure. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? And when James uses this term, the world, is the anti-God state of mind. is everything that is antithetical to the kingdom of God and his righteousness and his holiness and his love and his mercy and his grace. And so James is saying, don't you know when you, when you make friends with that, that's hatred toward God. Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. 
Or do you think the scripture says without reason that the spirit he calls to live in us envies intensely? But he gives us more grace. And that's why the scripture says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law, and he judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but you're sitting in judgment on it. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Sobering, is it not? When James exposes some of the motivation that's going on within leaders and and members of the New Testament church there in Jerusalem and there's fighting and there's quarrels going on, going on there's covetousness going on uh, man it's just it's just a toxic situation i look at something like that and i just kind of put it under the category of jurassic church <laughs> when, when you're involved in a church experience and people within the church are fighting each other and man you, you're just trying to find the jeep to get to the dock to get to the boat to get off to the island who wants to go to a church at a place like that And velociraptors are spinning black stuff in your eyes, and it's just not a pleasant place to be. And this this was the first century church. This is the first shot. This is our first first blush at the bride of Christ and all this havoc and all this uncertainty and dysfunction is taking place. There, there were within the leaders there in Jerusalem and the people of the church of God there in Jerusalem, and there were certain strengths by way of who Jesus was within them, but there were also certain assassins going on. And, and, and a lot of the time, the assassins were ruling the day and determining the, the relational context of what was happening with these folks. And those assassins are deadly. They're sneaky they're kind of like ninjas hiding up in the ceilings of our soul. And they'll, they'll come down and slit your throat before you ever knew what had happened. And you just drop dead. Deadly, viper, assassins they are. So let's just take a look at these character assassins. And this is what they do to leaders in the New Testament church. These character assassins, as these folks were yielding to them, fuel fights and quarrels among the leaders. Verse 1. They lurk in the shadows of our dark desires, verse 2. They transform us into bloodthirsty hitmen who abuse and exploit others, verse 2. Set personal pleasure as the metric of success in verse 3. They erase the lines of faithfulness and fidelity in what matters most, verse 4 and 5. And then they deceive us to devalue others and make false estimations of ourselves. Deadly Character assassins. And they, they reside in there. And so we move on here in, in James chapter, uh, or excuse me, verse 12. He says, there's only one lawgiver and judge. Did I get that right back there? Yeah, 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 we're there. I'm sorry. 
senior moment. It happens here more than the number like. Uh, there's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbors? Whether it's quarrels and fights that are going on in the church or devaluing somebody else in the church or thinking that you're better than somebody else or whatever it may be, we put ourselves in the place of God. And James is calling us out on that. He's calling us out on that we would have love of the world over love of God. But he's also saying, who, who are you to make the call? What gives you the right to judge another? And that's the assassin mindset. Now let's look at the character champions for a moment here. If, if the assassins do such damage in a church, let's look at what the champions do. Character champions, they fuel trust and strength among the leaders and the people of the church. They walk in the light of transparency and authenticity. They transform us into agents of his grace, set love as the metric of success. They know and honor the lines of faithfulness and fidelity where it matters most. They teach us to value others and make appropriate estimations of ourselves. Through the training center, we get to do a, a lot of work with leaders across the country and around the world. And a lot of people, sometimes maybe you included, you're wondering, what goes on over there at the training center? What goes on at the training center is, number one, is, is we're set up to help you be prepared and equipped for the things that God's called you to do. But we also, in that preparation and equipping, keep our eye on certain, I don't know, values or metrics that are a part of leadership, health, and multiplication. And the first one is character assessment. The second one is uh, culture evaluation because a leadership culture comes out of what's on the inside. Whether the champions are ruling the day or whether the assassins are ruling the day, that sets the culture, whether you're in a flourishing culture or a toxic culture. Number three is to have clarity and knowing who you are as a leader and where you're headed and how you're going to get that get there. Number four is to ride the curve on a, on a sigmoid curve. We, we just say, where are you and how do you stay off the plateau and out of the decline? always growing and, and maturing in the knowledge of Christ. Coach and be coached as a leader the rest of your life and be what we call a hidden multiplier. And that names nowhere, fingerprints I, everywhere idea. So what we want to do here in looking at these, uh, these, this character champion here for a moment is to realize that uh, they're, they're all within us. Let's say like generosity is a character champion. You want to be a generous person. What, what's the assassin? Oh, to be cheap and stingy. Let's say that you, gratitude is a, is a character champion. You want to be a grateful leader. Well, what's the assassin? That would be entitlement. And what James does here in this passage, he cuts to the core of what is the most deadly assassin and then what is the most noble champion that you and I can, can work through together? The most deadly assassin is pride. And the most noble champion is humility. And so in keeping with all the assassins, you notice that pride there fuels the quarrels and everything else and uh, lurks in the, the shadows of our own dark desires, transforms right on down to Pride deceives us to devalue others and make false estimation. Whereas the champion humility 
fuels trust, strength among leaders. Humility walks in the light of transparency. Humility transforms us into agents of grace. Humility sets the love as the metric of success. It knows and honors the lines of faithfulness and fidelity where it matters most. Humility teaches us to value others. And humility also teaches us to make appropriate estimations of ourselves. Pride the assassin, humility the champion, and James calls a quarreling, fighting church out on on these two issues of pride and humility. Chuck Swindoll once said that pride just stinks up the joint. (laughs) You know, pride and ego and somebody that that comes in and it's all about them and that they're me-centered and all of that, that, that'll, that'll mess things up. Whereas humility fosters grace and humility brings us to a point where we can experience authenticity with who we are and who God is and who we are with other people. Speaking of other people, I, uh, I've had a friendship with Mickey Rapier now for over 30 years. And um, Mickey, from our days back in Fayetteville, back in the 80s, had two signs above the door of his office. Whenever you walked out of his office, you could look up above the door frame, and there were two signs. And the first of these two signs is that, uh, what is your motive? Did I get that one right? Yeah, okay, we're on track here. And, and, and remember what James says here? He says, uh, you, you ask and you do not receive because you don't ask with the right motives. What, what the church was doing in Jerusalem here was they were asking selfishly. They, they were making it about themselves and not about others and not about God. And he said, you ask with wrong motives. And I've just always been impressed at walking out of Mick to, Mick's office to look up and the questions there, what's your motive in what you're about to do? Is it for yourself or is it for others? Is it for yourself or is it for greater glory in God? And and right up there with what's your motive, he has the next sign, and it's this one. Humility is the final achievement in life. And I, I, I hadn't had a chance to talk with Mick on this, but I wondered if he, where did he get these questions? Because they just come right out of this text. What's our motive? And do we realize that humility is the final achievement, not, not success or monetary well-being or our name and lights and influence around the world? According to the scriptures, and as James calls these people out in Jerusalem, it is humility is the final assessment or final achievement. Um, I read a book a few years ago by a guy named Samuel Chand, And in it, he says this, we all have a limitless capacity for (laughs) self-deception. That's a good place to start. In a text like this, and and a message like this, because chances are, you're like me. I kind of see myself as a humble guy. Uh Uh-oh. I just let the character assassin of pride hijack. That thought alone, I'm a pretty humble guy. Really? Do we have the right to make that kind of call about ourselves? Not really. And so I'm fascinated with the saying, we we just have this limitless capacity to be self-deceived. 
One of the things we enjoy doing with leaders like yourself through the training center is, is working with leaders across the country and doing some assessments from time to time. And we're going to do an assessment this morning. Just take a few minutes on this idea of pride as the character assassin in our life and humility as the character champion. Just where are you on these two that James has raised up this morning? Because God opposes the proud. You can almost see like a stiff arm in a football game. God opposes us when we stand in a posture of pride in life. But he gives grace to the humble. And I don't know about you, I'd much rather be a recipient of God's grace than stand in opposition to a form. And it all begins with the posture of a heart and just being real with who we are and where we are before him. Our buddy, uh, Peter Scazzaro, who's been in the area before over at John Brown, wrote a book called The Emotionally Healthy Church. And as we go through the book of James this fall, I'd recommend getting this book as a companion read. Because there are just some great ideas that Skazera brings out. And he does a, a little assessment. So we're going to have some friends hand this assessment out to you right now. And just take a look at it. And what you'll notice when you get this assessment is that one column just uh, is, is titled Pride, the Assassin. And the other column is titled Humility, the Champion. And we just want to take two or three minutes and let you do a little character assessment on how you're dealing with pride and where are you experiencing true, authentic, biblical hum humility in your life. And, and, and so they're just statements. And you just kind of, if you have a pen or a pencil, or maybe you just want to make a mental note of saying, you know, on this, on this point number one, I'm okay. I'm in the posture of humility here. But what you want to watch out for is in a, an honest self-assessment on the left-hand column where your checks are there because that's telling you something about yourself that the rest of us already know. <laughs> that you're stinking up the joint, you know, as these guys were messing things up in Jerusalem in the early church. So you take about two or three minutes here and just read through those and make a mental note. And this is just for you. Now, don't sit there and... Judge your spouse or the friend next to you. This is just, hey, as I read these statements, I either fall on the left column or I fall on the right column. And we'll put a little mood music going on up here for you, and we'll circle back around in a few minutes.
in keeping with line 16 on the right side, <laughs> I assert myself respectfully and kindly, not I asset. Sorry for the typo. So, just taking from this assessment, a little character assessment, targeting the assassin of pride and the champion of humility, what do you do with those things that resonate true about you and me if we find ourselves comfortable with the left column on some things? James says we should well and mourn and repent because our comfort with the left column postures us in a position where we are being opposed by God and then if you move over to the right column and in humility you, you realize these are things that you truly value about yourself about your spouse and about other people and your family we realize that God gives grace to the humble and again I am sobered at how I can so easily yield to the assassin of pride and find myself in complete opposition to God where he's opposing me yet I am so grateful <laughs> and humbled knowing that he has grace for the humble and I'd rather have a life fueled by his grace than blocked by his opposition how about you that's what James is doing in this text this morning he's just calling leaders like you and I out on these two postures of the heart of pride and Humility and God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We all stand in need of grace, huh? So maybe this morning's just been a little reality check here, Rogers. <laughs> An opportunity to see what is our motive and what we're doing this week. Is it for ourselves, our pleasure? Or is it for he, him and others and his glory and his acclaim and his honor? and renown just a good reality check I think from the book of James for each of us here this morning and doing an assessment like this and just I know it's been a couple of minutes perhaps you've been convicted and perhaps you've been encouraged but perhaps we all should be grateful that his mercy and grace is new every day when we wake up his mercy is the first thing that is in our face when we open our eyes in the morning it's fresh and it's new for every day and his grace sustains us even in the next breath we're about to take and it's all because of what's represented in the elements this morning and as we were working through how to land this teaching and and kind of bring this service to uh, some togetherness we just felt like communion is the most appropriate Paul says over in Philippians chapter 2 your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped 
But in humility, he made himself a servant and became obedient, even to the obedience of death on a cross. And therefore, that God has raised him up and highly exalted him, and that his name is above every name, and that every tongue in heaven, on earth, and throughout all creation will confess that Jesus is Lord. So we just thought it was appropriate to come to the table this morning and be reminded that he who had every reason to take the posture of pride humbled himself and became obedient, shed his blood, and allowed his body to be bruised and shredded on our behalf, that we all would be recipients of grace. So if you would, just come to the tables and take the elements back to the seat with you and hold them, and we'll, we'll take communion together in just a few moments.